ready to sink your teeth into scripture and get a bulldog grip on its truth? Let's gnaw on some doctrine and get bulldogmatic. Here is your host. Welcome to Bibles, Bulldogs, and Beards. Today we're going to get a bulldog grip on the doctrine of regeneration. I'm here with uh, Pastor William Shiflett. Uh, pastor William is the pastor of Reasoning Tree Church in Edinburgh, Virginia. How are you today, um, Very well, thank it's good you. good to have you here with us. Good, good to be here. Did you want to tell people about your blog? Yes, williamsgoodword.org, william-good-word.org. Uh, good news, and I just posted some today. I don't know when the people will see this video, but... Today, just before we made this, I posted some really good stories that show that sanity is returning to our culture. Amen. And we're really helpful. And by the way, that's just, I put three stories on this post and I got four or five other really good stories that, that, are, that are out there about cultural issues and uh, freedom of speech and things of that nature. So it's, it's good news. Well, that's great. We need all the good news we can, we can get. Well, today we're talking about uh, Dr. Sinclair Ferguson's book, The Christian Life. You can see that in the background here. If you don't have that, we encourage you to buy it and read it. It's an excellent, excellent book. Uh, we're in chapter six today, and uh, chapter six is entitled Born Again. And so far we have discussed the need for God's saving grace, God's call to grace, and conviction of sin. Today we're going to talk about the phrase born again and the doctrine of uh, regeneration. Dr. Ferguson says that is perhaps the most crucial doctrine of all, and to mistake the way here will mean that the whole focus of our understanding is seriously at fault. Now I wanted to ask you, why do you think he says that regeneration is perhaps the most crucial doctrine for understanding the Christian life. Well, everything begins when you get saved. Okay, we use that mm -hmm. phrase, when you get saved, it all begins there. Right. And if you get that wrong, then it's going to interfere with. Uh, you know, one of the things I've said before, when it, on any kind of doctrine, error is, is, is not a question of whether the person's wrong, but how did they get wrong? And if you're on a road and you realize you're on the wrong road, you have to go back to the point that you got on the wrong road, okay, yeah. uh, and 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 start again. And it's it's like that. If we if we're not clear on how we get saved, what salvation means, then it's going to impact us all the way down the road, mm -hmm. and you're going to have just a complete uh, a terrible thing. And, and and let me give you two examples from Scripture real quickly about the the importance of it. One is. In Galatians, where Paul says that he went to Jerusalem to talk to Peter, James, and uh, John, right. so that he would know that he had not been preaching the wrong message. Mm -hmm. so he said, "I just want to be down the road and then realize I got it wrong." Right. He wanted and, confirmation, I guess. Yeah, that. exactly. And another passage, it might also be in Galatians, but he says uh, he talks about unless you, you believed in vain. So you, it's possible you're on the wrong road. So I think that's part of what Dr. Ferguson is getting at. Make sure you're on the right road. Don't take it for granted. Uh, and we're talking about today the phrase comes up born again. Mm -hmm. uh, and you and I have talked about many times the tendency for people with the 
with again to that idea of the sinner's prayer, pray this prayer, you're saved. Mm-hmm. But people really don't know what they're being saved from and what they're expected to do as believers. So that you end up with a what we call false conversions. A lot mm-hmm. of people don't like that term, but it is possible for a person to think they're saved and really not be saved right. because they didn't get this right. Mm-hmm. Uh, of the whole concept of, of regeneration, new birth, you get that wrong, then you're in trouble. We're in trouble. Sure. Yeah. Well, he starts out talking about uh, regeneration and the gospel. And uh, Dr. Ferguson says, evangelism tends to pass through phases. Sometimes its emphasis centers on regeneration. And I found an interesting reading about when Dr. Ferguson said that someone came up to him and asked, are you a Christian? And he replied, yes. Then they asked if he was a true Christian. And he replied, yes. And finally they asked if he was a born again uh, Christian. So it made me think back when we were discussing R.C. Sproul's book, uh, Saved from What? And someone came up to him and asked him, are you saved? So the question I wanted to ask you, how are these two questions, are you saved? And are you born again? How, how are they similar? And are they any different? And if so, what are the differences between uh, the two? No, I don't think, I think there's two different ways of saying the same thing. Right. Uh, but I, I would, and, and this, this just struck me as you were talking about even the question to ask a person, are you saved, assumes that they know that they're unsaved. Right. And they understand the whole concept of what it means to become a believer. So one thing I would say right there at the beginning is I'm not sure that's even the right question to ask somebody. Right. Are you are you saved? Well, what do you mean am I saved? Again, we're talking about, you know, and you and I are, are, are in that group. We don't want to admit it. But we're in that group which was much more heavily influenced by Christian beliefs in the day-to-day everywhere you went you were exposed to christian values and principles mm-hmm. and many people we encounter today don't have that uh, and when true. we say are you born again are you saved they they're not maybe even tracking with what we're saying mm-hmm. so uh, that brings out the danger even of get it wrong because we just assume people know what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. We have to break it down a little bit further. Right. Well, Dr. Ferguson goes on to say, the message of Paul was of Christ crucified, risen, and exalted to whom men should turn in faith and repentance. So when we look at the way the apostles in the early church evangelized, how does it compare with modern evangelism? Well, to keep from being overly critical of, of those that are out there that are really doing a, a good job, we would have to point out that much of what it passes as evangelism in America has nothing to do with Christ saving us from our sins. Mm-hmm. He's saving us from a problem in our life. He's saving us from low self-esteem. He's saving us from uh, financial problems. Mm-hmm. But he's not saving us from our sins. And that's the big difference between... Uh, the modern modern evangelism. Now, now, I always want to make sure we, we understand. Again, that's what's happening by and large in America or in, uh, uh, because we have all these rights, which we're thankful for. 
But in other cultures where you don't have that Christian influence, then evangelism is happening much more effectively. Mm-hmm. But in America, we have cheapened the message. And it's now about what, what I want and what God should do for me and what is fair for me instead of here's the situation. I'm a sinner and I need God. Right. And it, it, it's, it changes the whole spectrum. Yeah, it does. Well, Dr. Ferguson goes on uh, talking about regeneration. He said it is only mentioned twice in Scripture, in uh, in the King James Version, and in the more modern versions, it's only mentioned in, I believe, in Titus 3.5. But uh, in the King James, it reads in Matthew 19.28, And Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that ye which have followed me in the regeneration when the Son of Man shall sit on the throne of glory, ye also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And in uh, the book of Titus, verse uh, chapter 3, verse 5, it says, Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. So regeneration is not the gospel, correct? Regeneration is a result of the gospel or someone who has received the gospel, correct? Uh, okay, so I think I think I would prefer the word product of the gospel. Result, right. result is true. Okay. Uh, that uh, a person is regenerated um, it's a little, it's a little tricky. Let me let me begin by saying something, and then I'll try to get to the other point. Okay. And that is the the fact that that phrase, "born again" in John or regeneration in those passages, many people would say, "Well, you see, it's only in there a couple of times. It's not important." Yeah. And that's where I always want to make a distinction between what the Bible says and what the Bible is teaching. teaching. The fact that you don't see that specific word does not deny d- 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 uh, does not uh, diminish the importance of new birth and starting over again and dr uh, Ferguson points out that the the word regeneration means Genesis again mm-hmm. starting over mm-hmm. so you you have that you have that consideration now then to say is salvation the result of regeneration the answer is yes okay but you get into this in the in the reformed community of uh, do you do you and I know this will be difficult maybe for our hearers and we invite you to to inquire so that we right. can give you other information yes. on that uh, and and I ha- I highlighted it. I don't want to get ahead of you that so that that's why I'm hesitant to uh, well that's all right you can go ahead we can because, always go back. Uh, he, but he makes a point later on that um, he says this on, on page number 52. To say that regeneration takes place by the divine initiative does not deny that men must repent and believe. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we repent and believe. And yet the scripture bears out that repentance and belief requires some work of God. Right. Before we can repent. We, we don't have a concept of sin. So the point is that when we say regeneration is a salvation is a product of regeneration, 
it, it almost needs to be seen as as part of the whole. Mm -hmm. uh, and and the way some commentators will describe it is that in a in a temporal sense, one, two, three, four, it happens this way. Mm -hmm. But in a in in the uh, in the, in the in the spirit realm, it happens simultaneously, and I think we talked about that again with one, one of the subjects of Doctor Sproul's book that that God must regenerate me so that I will be conscious of my sin. Mm -hmm. Until He does that, until the lights go on, you you don't really have a concept that you are a sinner. Right. And um, and then I I recognize my sin and I believe, and those two things are part and parcel of regeneration, okay? And I think that's that's one of the challenges is describing that in a way that people don't turn it off because I know you may have seen this where people say, because some some Calvinists perhaps have presented this this way that you get saved, and here's how they say it. It's incorrect, but they say you get saved and then you believe. But that's misunderstanding the role of regeneration. It's not... It's not A B C. It's 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 all together, so to speak, right. and that's the danger and one of the difficulties of the concept of regeneration. It means to start over, but what is starting over? My outlook about sin, my my belief not 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 a belief that God exists, but a real heartfelt from the inside acknowledgement that God is. God and Jesus Christ is Lord. Mm -hmm. And so those are part and parcel of regeneration. So that's why I, I hesitate now. You know me, uh, and I might be guilty of overthinking things, but mm -hmm. but I'm not able to compartmentalize things as well as other people. So I, I always have to feel like I need to make sure people understand that we're not saying this comes before this, but that these come together at the same time. Mm -hmm. So that when I'm truly regenerated, I become conscious of my sin and repent and believe, but it isn't. It isn't. Uh, it's it's difficult to say this is a product of that because you get them at the same time. Right. Okay. Okay. And so um, I know that could be confusing. No. Well, maybe to maybe to some, uh, and uh, it's it's not an easy topic. No. You know, it, it's very. You know, it's a work of God. Right. It's God working in, in our lives. So I do like uh, your word product better than a result. I think it's, but even then, like you said, it needs to be classified. But anyway, uh, if we look at it that way, uh, why would anyone present regeneration first when they're evangelizing rather than just presenting the need for Christ and then Christ as the answer to, to that need. Right. Well, now that, and now you're getting into the practical versus the theological. Okay. Mm -hmm. So practically we share the message of Christ and the theological product of sharing Christ is regeneration. Right. So, so you can see it. There is a, that's why it's so important to keep things in these different categories. Now you and I also live in a period of time where people, and, and it could be true of some folks listening, and again, it sounds like we're overthinking it, but it's not that we're overthinking. It's that our culture underthinks. Right. We, we don't we don't talk about, and this is why you can't. It's so difficult to have a conversation with people because they don't they don't know how to have. We have different categories and different terms, and they mean certain things in certain uh, 
perspectives. Mm -hmm. And so this is what we're arguing is not anything weird or strange. It's just that in a practical sense, we go out and we preach the gospel. Mm -hmm. The result of that gospel is that those who respond to it have received that regeneration in their spirit. Okay. Uh, They have been born anew, Mm -hmm. born again through the practical day-to-day preaching of the gospel. So they're not mutually exclusive, but my favorite term, two sides of the same coin, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. two sides of the same coin. Well, it's much better to overthink something than to underthink it. And unfortunately, we live in a culture that bases a lot of things just on their feelings alone. And they don't, God gave us a mind. We should use that mind in all things, uh, all things spiritual and all things physical. Well, and that and that is especially true for the Christian. And we, we we encourage, and we should delight in people using their minds. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, we, we and 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 it's unfortunate that there's some influences in our culture, whether intentional or unintentional, that cause us to not use our our minds as we should. But the Christian is specifically commanded to love God with our mind. Right. So reading, studying, discussions, uh, in informative in podcasts, you know, not just fluff. fluff, but something that has real significance that makes you think, mm-hmm. that makes you think. And I, I get this sometimes at our church, you know, people leave on Wednesday night and say, boy, my smoke's coming out of my ears. And, and I don't, I'm not, I don't see it as things that are really that difficult. It's just we're not used to it in our culture. We're not used to thinking about that. So with this respect, they, they are uh, the, the practical is we preach the gospel. And then the spiritual or theological issue is this is what happens when we're, while we are preaching the gospel. God uses the gospel to regenerate the people he is calling to himself. Right. John 3, 6 through Uh, 8 says, That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said unto you, You must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. I've heard, uh, there are some people, I believe, that uh, say that Jesus' word you must, words, you must be born again, or a command. Um, I had no part in my physical birth. Do I have a part in my spiritual birth? You know, that's one of the things that really uh, challenged me. Uh, and, and if I could, I'll go back to that highlighted spot again, because he says uh, er, earlier, and let me see if I can read it. No, that's the wrong one. He says, there is a paradox at the gospel, in the gospel at this point. We discover the one thing needed is the only thing that's outside our power to perform. Right. So when Jesus says that, I would disagree with anyone who says this is a command. You must be born again because it does imply that it's something I do. Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, you think you're okay, but, and, but you cannot understand this stuff until you are regenerated okay and uh, 
Uh, and it's especially informative for, for Nicodemus because Nicodemus was the teacher in Israel, it says there. Not just one of them. He's the top guy, okay? By implication, he's the top guy. And yet Jesus says to him, you lack something that you can't do. There, there, there is, there must be this change. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. But we don't have the power. And again, this is one of the things that I have always... I value about the, the 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 reformed faith is that they stress that I don't have any power. Right. We are dead in sin. How does a dead person bring themselves to life? Right. So so it, it's that it's that kind of consideration. So no, I would not consider that a command. I would I would I see it as a statement of tremendous need. Mm-hmm. But he but he goes on to say a tremendous need of God's work. Right in our life. Right, exactly, exactly. And 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 again, um, this is maybe not directly pertinent, but the tendency we have to boast about our salvation after the fact. And I, boy, I was so far. You you can't believe how far down that it. And I we and we appreciate testimonies from people that have had come from the dark corners yes. of brokenness. Mm-hmm. But that is God's work. Right. And we must make sure that we're giving him glory and not just trying to call attention to ourselves right. about how how we were saved. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it was God that did it. Amen. It's God that did it. Amen. Well, Dr. Ferguson gives his definition, and I'll read that. He says, we will take regeneration to refer to the fundamental imparting of new life by God, which lies at the heart of being a Christian. The first abiding of the seed of God in our lives, as the first letter of John describes it. Do you have anything to add to that or comment? No, uh, you know, I said a little bit along those lines. That's why I said I was getting ahead of myself. But a, a little bit uh, along those lines is that's what happens when a person is saved. Mm-hmm. And let's let's make sure that the, the listener or the viewer understands saved is the everyday word. Okay. Right. But so so you don't like the big regeneration word, okay? But right. so put it in the terms of saved. That's a biblical term. Right. Uh but it, it is it is the it is what it is a consequence of what God is doing. He he does it. Right. He saves us. He gives us life. You who were dead in trespasses and sins, he has made alive. alive. Uh so there's that that's that's the whole concept of regeneration. It's something God does in the person's heart that includes them coming to a place of of, uh, of repentance and recognition of their need for God. It's all part of the, the whole process. He goes on to uh, talk about pictures of regeneration in Scripture. And he said in Scripture it's pictured as birth. And that that birth is the will of God, which you've been talking about. John 1, 12 says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So Christians receive him and believe in his name. How do you, how do you describe this? Or how, how do you explain how this happens, other than it's just the work of God? And I guess the way I would say it is, perhaps use the language from Augustine and from Luther, that we are saved by faith through grace, through faith alone, 
Mm-hmm. But faith is never alone. That true Christian, when person says, I've been saved, where is the proof of that? Right. Because what you're saying, and this is why it's important for us to talk about the heavier doctrines or doctrines we don't talk about sometimes. When you say, I have been saved, you're claiming that God has given you a new life. Mm-hmm. And that new life should manifest. There should be signs that there is a new life. Right. Not just an ongoing, um, a change of attitude in the old life. Because you can have that. Okay. Mm-hmm. You can just have a different outlook about your old life. Uh, and, and, and there are Christian people or people in, within the Christian community who say that. Like the free grace people. Mm-hmm. God saved you and now it doesn't matter. Just go and live your, enjoy yourself. That has to be challenged because if it is new birth, new life, then there should be some evidence that I am, I, I am being transformed by that new life. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's taking on a, a whole different uh, meaning and direction in my day-to-day life. And when it says... Uh to all who did receive him and believe in his name. They're talking about the name of Christ, Jesus Christ, correct? So the redemptive work, which uh, God, through that, God gives us regeneration. And it's all done through Christ. It's nothing we've done on our own. Right. Now, this is, and again, this passage in John is one of those that people use to argue against what you and I are presenting and what Dr. Ferguson would be bringing forth about regeneration. Mm-hmm. Because it sounds like we did this and then we got that, okay? And you, again, what we're saying is that there is the distinction between what the Bible says and what, what it teaches, teaches, okay? Right. What it teaches and that, that people can get, people can, so for people who are sitting there listening and saying, oh, pastor, what does that mean? what the Bible says and what the Bible teaches. Okay, what the Bible says, for example, is that David had lots of wives. Mm-hmm. But what the Bible teaches is that we're only supposed to have one wife. Right. And it's supposed to be a person of the opposite sex, and it's supposed to last a lifetime. Right. Uh, so there you have the difference between what the Bible says and what the Bible teaches. We've been looking at the Lord uh, of the uh, Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says if, you're, if your eye lusts, uh, chop, pull, pluck it out. You know, if you have a problem with lust, pluck your eye out. Mm-hmm. That's what it says. What it means is that we get serious about sin and that issue and recognize my propensity for it and take steps to avoid it and get into accountability group, okay? Because we all know plucking out your eyes will not prevent you from lusting, no. okay? So, um, so, so that's the difference for those that are listening between what the Bible says and what the Bible teaches. Right. So when we look at what the Bible teaches about salvation, we see that it always begins with God doing this work of regeneration that then produces these results. Okay. Mm-hmm. So it is not wrong to say we believed and uh, we put our trust in Christ. We did do that. Mm-hmm. But it was a product of God working before that. Right. Okay. And and so that's that's and that verse is one that that you can that is easily plucked out and said no no we have to do it before God does it. Mm-hmm. Again, it's not 
it's not a it's not a matter of sequence. It's a matter of that they go together. Well, even the last sentence in in that verse says he gave up. He gave us the right to become children of right, God. It's right. nothing we've done. No, exactly. He has given us that right he, through his redemptive work. Right on the cross. Uh, he goes on to say that that scripture pictures birth and birth is required to see and enter the kingdom of God. Of course, John 3, 3 says, Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And John 3, 5, Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. The question I have for these two verses is, is there a difference between seeing the kingdom of God and entering the kingdom of God? I would answer no. It's just, to, again, it's one of the, it's one of the ways the Bible and uses and uh, many of us would use to just two different words to describe the same thing. Mm -hmm. uh, so that, so that would, I would, that would be my response to that. Yeah, it's not good. Okay. It's not Two different things to enter and see right. are are uh, mean essentially the same thing because you're seeing it from the inside, if you can use that term, which would require you to enter the kingdom. Right. Again, let's talk about just this. If this helps to illustrate it, previously we talked about the two kingdoms. You can see the kingdom of God from the outside. You can see people. Um, that are Christians, you can see things that are religious, but it's when you enter it that you see it differently. Okay, mm -hmm. when I was a sinner, I didn't. I looked at Christian people. And I thought, what's wrong with them? You know, they're crazy. They yeah. they believe this, and then, then I made my argument. Well, the Bible never says this. The person who knew nothing about the Bible telling other people. So so I would use that without rambling. Seeing it in and and entering it are just two different ways to describe yeah. it to be continued. We will continue this conversation in the next episode. And it keeps getting more and more interesting. Be sure to like and share this with your friends, and be sure to subscribe to our channel. Thanks for listening.